Welcome to Goodfellow Podcasts. This episode is kindly supported by the Auckland Faculty of the Royal New Zealand College of General Practitioners. I'm Dr. Louise Kugler, and today I have the pleasure of talking to Dr. Anil Sharma about ovarian cancer. Anil is a specialist gynaecologist working in private practice at Auckland Central Urogynecology in Auckland. Welcome, Anil. Hi, Louise. How are you? Good, good. Good. So today we're talking about ovarian cancer. How common is ovarian cancer in New Zealand and what are the risk factors? Yeah, it's pretty much the same in most of the Western world. Um, The lifetime risk is about 1 in 75, so about 1.3% chance in in, in a lifetime. And as a cause of death, it's probably at about 1%. Um, Risk factors, um, there are some hereditary and ethnic risk factors. Uh, It's said to be more common in uh, women of European origin. Uh, It happens much more commonly in postmenopausal women and the average age of diagnosis is 65 years. Um, It's less common in younger women. Um, The majority of them of ovarian cancers are the epithelial type, which is about 90%. So the other 10% tend to be more common in in the younger group. Um, And the only other sort of main risk factors that we ever get an inkling of are BRCA mutations and HNPCC, which is hereditary non-polyposis colorectal cancer syndrome. So in other words, there are um, hereditary cancer syndromes where there's a, 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 a sort of significant risk of Uh, breast, ovary, uh, endometrium, colon, uh, rectum. So um, yeah, so so it's it's difficult though because most of these cancers are also overall you could call them relatively common so it can be very difficult because uh, you know it's very easy for for a patient to say uncle had this and father had this and mother had this uh, and in those uh, certainly in those cases, a, a medical genetics referral or advice from medical genetics can be very useful. We think that around one in ten ovarian cancers has got a hereditary basis. Ovarian cancer has been named the silent cancer in the past, but actually, with careful questioning, there are often symptoms even early in the disease. What questions should we be asking, and what symptoms are we wanting to know about specifically, Anil? I mean, the silent thing unfortunately hasn't changed a lot and um, one of the things I've been horrified about is that the five-year survival overall for all types of uh, ovarian cancer hasn't changed much since 1995. Uh, Maybe it's two to four percent better and that really I think is right down to what you've just said. It it is a silent cancer. the trouble is the symptoms that that it causes are very very vague indeed things like um, a feeling of fullness or bloating um, early satiety or loss of appetite um, pelvic pain sometimes urgency or frequency and as you know urgency and frequency are extremely common symptoms very very common in 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 women and and also to a lesser extent in men Um, symptoms can also include bowel issues that might make us all think about irritable bowel syndrome. And then, sadly, at a later stage, we're talking more about 
weight loss, fatigue, um, tiredness. The irritable bowel thing does need a, a, a bit of a mention, a bit more of a discussion, I think, in the sense that, you know, you, you gen, it is, I know it's a gross generalization, but you probably shouldn't be developing certain things for the first time in your 40s and 50s. Um, things like irritable bowel syndrome, things like endometriosis. I mean, there's no hard and fast rules. Um, but where you have seen someone who is presenting with a new bunch of symptoms that sound like it might be IBS and they're in their 40s or 50s, please do look into it in a bit more detail. That's an excellent point. Thank you. So ovarian cancer isn't seen that commonly in primary care and you've mentioned the symptoms can be vague. What are the initial common diagnoses that are made prior to that of ovarian cancer? Yeah, look, I, I, that, that good question. I think it's really um, important at this stage, uh, early in this discussion, that I also uh, say that ovarian cancer should be managed by multidisciplinary oncology teams. So this is not something in New Zealand uh, or pretty much any Western country now to be managed by a general gynecologist. A general gynaecologist such as myself can be very useful in that initial assessment and speeding up things. Um, but yeah, just to make that point clearly, if you do have a patient who you strongly suspect has ovarian cancer, please get on to a gynaecologist publicly or privately uh, quickly. Uh, coming back to your question, Louise, um, it, it, it isn't commonly seen. It does get confused with IBS, um, urinary tract infections, um, reflux, gastric issues, and also sometimes even put down to, you know, your, your menopausal, so everything's playing up, it'll all settle down. So just be very, very wary. It is very difficult because the vast majority of women who present in their 40s and 50s and 60s with these types of symptoms, it actually won't be ovarian cancer. But each one needs a very thorough workup and examination. Examination is something that we very easily can forego because you know you've got a, a, a short time to do a detailed assessment you're being pummeled with lots of symptoms um, but if you have got these vague symptoms I'm sorry everyone does need a thorough bimanual examination. Um, women get their diagnosis delayed for six to nine months or longer because we go down that line of uh, IBS and trying different diets and obesity is not helping us. It's a massive problem as we all know. Um, and so for those reasons, don't forget an examination. And if the examination done by either yourself or the nominated GPs at your practice who've got interests in women's health, do even give a vague impression of a pelvic mass an urgent pelvic ultrasound scan is uh, abdominopelvic even should be very very uh, important to think about. Um, in the UK, the NICE guidelines have recommended that uh, any woman over 50 who presents with symptoms of IBS should have a CA125. That's not a guideline here, uh, but I, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. So just just bear that in mind too. Uh, so just to repeat that, any woman 50 or over who presents with symptoms of IBS, it may be worth undertaking a CA125 blood test. So we've said that symptoms are vague and often another diagnosis is made in the first instance. Should we be screening for ovarian cancer? 
Um, sadly, no, we haven't come up with anything uh, worthwhile. And uh, the explanation for that, I mean, the, some of these studies are now, you know, I would say almost ancient. The, the problems with most of the big trials done on screening uh, with CA125 usually and with transvaginal imaging, uh, uh, ultrasonography, the pickup rate remains low, the life saved rates remains very low, but unfortunately uh, screening programs often pick up lots of cysts that don't need surgery, which end up uh, patients who end up having surgery. So economically, it hasn't made a lot of sense in most countries, and it hasn't made uh, sense in the sen in the idea of how many women you're actually diagnosing and treating, and whether you're actually significantly reducing the rates of ovarian cancer. So uh, unlike the cervical screening program, we haven't got a clear case for this. However, remember those patients with... Um, high risks and family histories and possible hereditary cancer syndromes. Uh, they do need medical genetics review and um, we've got an excellent medical genetics service in Auckland and uh, hopefully throughout the country. And so getting that assessment done, getting the guidelines and getting specific guidelines for those patients from medical genetics can be very useful. Um, and then putting those patients on really good recall systems. Probably, I would argue that those patients who are coming from those high-risk families should be under the care of a specialist team. Um, they, they need regular follow-up. GPs love red flags. We've talked about some of these, but what are the red flags for ovarian cancer? Well, the main one so far that we've, we've mentioned that it is worth going over again is the hereditary gynae cancer syndrome such as HMPCC or, or BRCA. Um, women who are presenting in their 40s and 50s or over with new IBS type symptoms uh, or even coexisting symptoms, you know, if, if things have suddenly got worse again, don't forget that by manual examination. Think about women who've got a, a family history of ovarian cancer, especially a, a first degree relative. Um, worry a bit about uh, obesity, worry a bit about the fact that obesity will often lead to uh, new pelvic masses being hidden for a lot longer than in your slim patients. Have a relatively low index of suspicion for getting sonography when you can. Um, the red flags, uh, sadly, they're, they're very vague red flags with blurred outlines. So when performing our bimanual examination, what exactly do we look for and how do we examine these women otherwise? Again, it's, it's, it's something that the GPs who regularly do bimanual examinations are probably going to be better at. Um, so you're, you've, you, you've, the patient's relaxed and calm and you've explained what you're doing. You're usually um, using your index and forefinger, but for the vaginal part, but you know, I, I would even argue that in, in your older patients, if it's uncomfortable, especially the postmenopausal ones, even a single digit exam is better than no exam at all. Uh, pressing fairly firmly with your non-dominant hand on the abdomen to really make it a proper bimanual 
tipping the cervix, moving the cervix, seeing if you can roll the uterus between the, the two hands, um, feeling on, on each side. Probably would be good to say with your non-dominant hand, bring it down from higher up the abdomen. Don't do it just start suprapubically because you may well have a larger mass that's sitting higher up on the left or the right. So perhaps even bring it down from umbilicus downwards. Um, that's it in, in, in general. It's, it's not the biggest, the most sensitive test. But even if you have a vague feeling uh, and you're not sure uh, that it's normal, then uh, if you can, get a pelvic ultrasound scan. And I wouldn't be uh, worried in those cases to write impression of pelvic mass on the reason for request. So we decide to perform some investigations in primary care to look for ovarian cancer. What would be our first line tests? Well, my sort of ideal, I guess, would be um, a pelvic ultrasound scan. If the ultrasound scan is absolutely entirely normal, then carry on managing things as you would have um, with your suspicion for diagnosis, whatever that may be. If you have any degree of uh, abnormality, uh, ovarian cysts for example, uh, or uterine masses such as even query fibroids, that sort of thing, then I would tend to suggest that um, that woman is going to need specialist assessment uh, publicly or privately. If you have got an ovarian cyst, particularly in a perimenopausal or postmenopausal woman, uh, but probably just about in, in, in most women with a complex cyst, uh, a CA125 would be very useful. Um, we'll talk a bit more about that. Um, but essentially, that, that's where I would start. I think you can do some further blood tests like liver function tests, a full blood count, CRP, renal function tests, but you're probably going to find that a referral uh, will lead to all those tests anyway. If you have any semblance that someone's got a pelvic mass, get an urgent ultrasound scan, ideally within a couple of weeks. So you've mentioned the CA125. There is some controversy around this test. I wonder if we could discuss this for a moment. Yeah, sure, Louise. It's, um, it's been around f uh, ever since I, I was at med school, which is a while ago. Um, it stands for carbohydrate antigen 125, and it was noted that if you had a whole load of women with known ovarian cancer, in about 85% of them it was significantly raised. So it's not a perfect test by any stretch. Um, it can also be falsely elevated for no reason at all, uh, for pregnancy, uh, benign cysts, and also the other classic is endometriosis. And in, in fact, in some countries, it's in their public healthcare system, it's been touted as a good test to work out who should have the earlier laparoscopy and who shouldn't for endometriosis. In other words, if it's raised, you, you know, might get your laparoscopy sooner. Um, with endometriosis, it often isn't much more than 70 or 150 or, 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 or you know, even under 200. I have had patients with endometriosis where it's been nearly 300. But when it's raised, it, it does need referral. Uh, I, I would just uh, put that down as bottom line. If it's over 35, refer the patient. I have recently been aware of, of a, a patient that's had significant anxiety for many, many years 
and who has been having CA125 screening just for that anxiety, for no other logical reason. And uh, in the end, when she presented um, to a colleague, uh, it was about 70, so not very much raised at all, but subsequent tests then ended up did showing that she had a primary peritoneal tumor very similar to ovarian cancer. So unfortunately, even though it's not a perfect test, if it's raised, I think it's perfectly reasonable to get a specialist opinion. So moving on to management now, this depends on whether the woman is pre or postmenopausal. I wonder if we can start by talking about the premenopausal woman first. Sure. So um, premenopausal women, um, in general terms, most of the ovarian cysts that have presented um, most will be uh, having symptoms such as pain. It might be unilateral. We've got a whole range of uh, relatively benign cysts that can do that. We've got uh, ovulations that have gone wrong. We've got hemorrhagic ovarian cysts. We've got uh, endometriotic cysts. We've got benign complex cysts, uh, of which there are many types. And of course, the commonest um, benign, thankfully benign ovarian cyst in women of childbearing age uh, is the dermoid cyst. And often these, these days are being picked up in pregnancy because everyone has sonography in pregnancy. So in that premenopausal group, it, it's a bit tricky. I mean, do you do a CA125 for every single patient with even a small ovarian cyst? Well, the answer is probably should be no. Um, in working practice, I know that uh, most patients I see with even five or six centimeter likely just hemorrhagic cysts end up having that test just for reassurance even though we know it's not a perfect test and by the by while we're talking about that again I, it can actually be completely normal in cases of ovarian cancer so in the in this age group manage the patient according to symptoms if the ca125 is over 35 and there's an ovarian cyst refer because you know, you're not losing anything and maybe the woman has actually got endometriosis. So I, I, I would refer. Um, for the simpler cysts, for the five or six centimeter or smaller cysts, even if they're hemorrhagic, a repeat ultrasound scan can be very useful. You'll see on many reports that come back to you, please repeat in three months. I think six to 12 weeks after the first one would be reasonable if the cyst is significantly shrinking or disappeared, then, then everyone's happy. Um, anyone outside of that, anyone with a raised CA125 or a complex cyst, no matter how small, probably refer. And then moving on to the postmenopausal woman, how do we manage these differently? Just have a, a, a bit more concern, I guess. Um, you're, you're getting into that age group where ovarian cancer is more common a cause. Uh, again, though, in general terms, if you have a complex cyst, um, refer. If you have even a simple cyst, you might find that you don't feel comfortable with managing a six, six centimeter, five centimeter simple unilateral ovarian cyst in a postmenopausal woman. Refer to get some management guidelines. Um, the RCOG, the UK Royal College for OBGYN, ha does have um, fairly good 
guidelines about what to do. Most of the simple cysts can just be observed, particularly with normal tumor markers. Uh, and after several scans can be returned to no further follow-up, uh, sonographic follow-up. Um, Para-ovarian cysts often catch us out. There's a lot of anxiety out there. Sometimes we end up removing cysts that have just persisted or grown slightly after many years. But in general terms, again, postmenopausal woman, um, any sort of significant ovarian cyst refer particularly, obviously, if the CA125 is over 35. Our woman often asked us what to expect when they're seen by a specialist. What exactly should we be telling them? Uh, in general terms, um, we're going to go through the referral letter, go through the history, do an uh, examination, organise appropriate tests. If there's already been an ultrasound scan, um, there may be a need for uh, further imaging. Um, I can tell you what I do. When I see someone with uh, a, a complex ovarian cyst, I'm thinking what the risks of malignancy are. And we've got some simple, um, easily accessible guidelines online, risk of malignancy index uh, guidelines. And we can put age into their CA125 result, uh, the type of cyst and the complexity. And those guidelines will help us to decide where that patient should go. On a sort of a non-formal basis, um, even without a risk of malignancy index for ovarian cancer, I, I will pick up the phone and talk to my um, local friendly gynae oncologist and they will give me advice as to what is appropriate and not appropriate. Uh, I've got a fairly good idea, obviously, who should go to them. Uh, I would say to you again that anyone where you think there is a reasonably high chance or a reasonable chance of ovarian cancer, um, get them seen soon. So even though you might find the gynae oncologist is the best line of call, which, 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 which they would be, um, get them seen soon. Don't, don't sort of leave them three months, don't refer and haven't heard back from the hospital, etc. or they're on a wait list. If you are concerned, pick up the phone, um, ring your uh, public or private team, get them seen. You mentioned earlier on that ovarian cancer has an abysmal prognosis. What is the five-year survival? It's really difficult, Louise, because um, the five-year survival figures are all broken down, not just by stage one, two, three, and four, but by all the sub-stages as well. So I've tried to just keep this um, sort of digestible. Um, if it is picked up at stage one, the results can be, depending on early stage one, can even be higher than 90% five-year survival. But overall for stage one, it's 80%. For stage two, it's about 65. Um, for stage three, it's about anywhere between 40 and 50%. And stage four disease is 20% or less. So it, it, it remains a, a, a horrible disease. It's mainly so because it doesn't present with symptoms, uh, which is, you know, coming back to why it's called the silent cancer. Um, so just being vigilant and getting the tests where needed. I mean, we're, we're living in an era now where uh, sometimes, you know, uh, acute abdominal problems are being diagnosed by CT scan rather than putting a hand on someone's abdomen. So I, I'm a bit at a loss to explain why 
uh, sonography should not be accessible easily where there's any concern. Thank you. And to conclude this podcast, what would your take home messages be for our listeners today? I guess the main one, and it probably, uh, you know, it probably applies to, um, I, I was going to be a GP. I did, I, I, I uh, did general practice for a very short time before switching. Um, and, and one of the things that I, I was always taught um, is take even vague symptoms seriously. Um, vague symptoms often catch, catch us out. And in my line of work, vague symptoms, um, particularly with regard to ovarian and to a lesser extent cervical cancer and even uterine endometrial cancer can catch us out. So the take home message is anyone who presents to you with vague bloating type abdominal symptoms, uh, apart from the obvious IBS, uh, food allergies have, have become very, very popular online everyone's got gluten insensitivity, um, everyone's trialing different diets and, and, and there's a multitude of different names even for the same diet now. So anyone with vague symptoms presenting for the first time or getting worse after years of stability, bloating, pain, discomfort, feeling full, um, decrease in appetite, uh, urgency, frequency of micturition, um, always do a pelvic exam. If the pelvic exam is, is worrying at all, um, think about getting an urgent ultrasound and a CA125. And getting an opinion where you think that um, there is a mass. Thank you, Neil. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you, Louise. If you're a New Zealand GP and would like to claim CPD points for listening to this podcast, fill in the Reflection of Learning form found at goodfellowunit.org. Thank you for listening.